Next on the Well of Sound, Supergroups. What is the definition of a supergroup? I know it's out there. I would define it as a band that is made up of musicians who were already famous from another band. Or a super duo, right? Two famous musicians come together to form a band or cut an album. Sure. Right? Yeah, there's always a little bit of like... Wiggle room. There's marketing as well as friendships, as well as... Chemistry, for sure. chemistry, and it's oftentimes I, what I was what I was surprised by in going into a lot of this stuff is how much many of these start out as side projects and as a way to yep. get away from the, all the pressure that uh, you right. were that you Just were feeling as, as part of a certain collective and a brand almost that these these strong identities. What I didn't know going into this is how many bands. Eric Clapton was in? Just <laughs> Sorry. How many bands, uh, by the definition we, we just uh, put forth, how many bands are actually supergroups? And I had no idea. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Once you start looking. I, in my, so what's, what's uh, like, growing up, what was, what was the band you thought of as kind of like the first supergroup? Definitely Cream. I thought it was Blind Faith, but clearly, like, the record shows it's Cream. Well, Blind Faith, I also, but they were, you know, Blind Faith was they this came big, later. like, PS to Cream, but right. it was also um, to to people who were raised in, like, the BMG Music Club in Columbia House, if you got the best of right. Eric. That's you and that's me. If you got the best of Eric Clapton, it has a bunch of Cream songs, and then it has Presence of the Lord by Blind Faith, and then the next thing, and it, it sounds a lot, it sounds pretty similar. You know, so yeah. I, I I lumped them together a little bit, and um, right. you know the truth is Steve Winwood and uh, Jack Bruce don't have terribly dissimilar voices. But yes, and, Cream uh, is what I think of. I think of as three uh, kind of superstars or virtuosos coming together um, because from Clapton other- had been in the Yardbirds. and uh, the other two had been in the Graham Bond organization. Um, and I think they'd also they'd, John they'd put in time with John Mayle, and there was a lot of sort of you know back and forth. What who, who, what constituted a studio musician versus a gig a, a gig playing band member was a little right. fuzzy, especially once you got to a certain level of proficiency. Hey, you know what? I I feel like I just realized we should mention. What? This is the first time we've done it remotely. Yes, we we are not in the same room together. I know. I, you know, they say that there's a lot of communication you miss when you don't have a person right in front of you. But I feel like we're, this is the best we got right now. This works. And um, This totally works. We're, this is a, a one-off is one way to put it. Like, uh, just a stopgap after our second season. 
but of course, yeah. like every all the episodes we've tried to make to be transitional or Just sort of easy, quick and easy, it turns out to be. I can already tell this is going to be a doozy. Yeah, like we can't do Van Halen again. Oh my goodness. Uh, we 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 will. <laughs> we, we've already talked about the, the the big dogs that that we want to do. So we will do more like Van Halen. It's just you know t- it's a little investment in time, and so we wanted to do supergroups because um, we thought it would just be fun. And and I've learned a lot already. You see some people that are uh, we've already mentioned Clapton who seem kind of amenable to this arrangement and pursue these sort of collaborations over time. Uh, well, that's what it, it, see, it really does seem to be. It's certain personalities that just um, are able to, to slide into all these groups. And, and yeah, like you said, Clapton goes from Cream to Blind Faith to Derek and the Dominoes in a span of four to five years. Yeah, and he also plays in Delaney and Bonnie, which has... Which right. The, he, he wanted to be, I think, uh, anonymous in that. But, uh, you know, I think George Harrison was in that for a while. In Delaney and Bonnie? Yeah, the Leon Russell, I Just think, touring. might have been part of it. There was all sorts of people dropping in and Did, out. It was a much more, it was like a collective, like a festival, Delaney and Bonnie. Right, it has that, it's sort of happening at the same time as Mad Dogs and Englishmen, and it's this sort of, you know, roving troupe. I mean, Dave Mason is is in the mix there, too, who was in traffic with Steve Winwood. Um, it's interesting, I saw that Clapton wanted to pull Winwood in, into Cream to sort of alleviate the the pain that was happening between um, Bruce and Ginger Baker uh, at the time, and that didn't work out, and so they spun out into to Blind Faith when when Bruce and Baker couldn't stand each other anymore, and so that's sort of how Blind Faith came about. There's clearly a sort of personality that's attracted to this, and personality. Then it's and an inception, right? Some sort of reason why this thing happened. Yes, which. It sometimes feels like just a couple guys were just drinking backstage, and there's totally. a lot of that. Sometimes it's hatched in the, in uh, you know, an A and R meeting or something. Right, and so then I think on that side of it, there are definitely seem it seems to be a trendy thing, and we'll see groups of years where there's a ton of supergroups. Yeah. You know, because it's the it's the it's the right thing to do. Or if if so, if a band just broke up and somebody's got to you know get paid. They jump into a supergroup <laughs> real quick. You know, Lex, I always used to love the the, the comic book Marvel team up. You oh, know, yeah. you'd have like Wolverine and the Incredible Hulk go on some adventure totally. together. It just works, right? Yeah, and that's kind of what this is because a lot of these bands or these figures were, to me at least as a kid, they were essentially su- they're superheroes. And they're like, let's totally. team up. And you know, sometimes it's combined it's a, powers. It's a complete vanity project, and it it, is, it doesn't go anywhere. Sometimes they're just interesting failures, and sometimes they really they're charming and kind of classic. Totally. Should we play some music? Let's do it. All right, I'm going to play uh, my first big discovery, and it predates. Um, well, actually, it's it's the same time as as Cream. So if we call Cream our, our first sort of notable supergroup, these guys are doing it across the pond, and I'm going to play this song. Back to Baton Rouge, man. I thought you had a good thing going. I 
Solomon Burke and yes, is is, and, is Wilson Pickett on that? Uh, Who, Wilson Pickett wasn't on that recording, but that is the Soul Clan, which formed in 1966 uh, under the, the the leadership of Solomon Burke, as you said. The original um, uh, team up was Wilson Pickett. Don Covey, Otis Redding, and Joe Tex, who were all Atlantic artists. And uh, Solomon Burke had an agenda. He thought, if, if I team up with these Atlantic superstars um, and go in, and, and as a group, we demand a million dollars from uh, the bigwigs at Atlantic, um, we'll, we'll have some leverage, we'll get some money, and actually what we'll do with that money is reinvest it in the community, uh, in, in the black community, and do public works. Sort of what James Brown was, was doing, maybe around the time, a little bit later, but uh, Solomon Burke was really like, let's, let's flex our muscles and do something. Huh. Uh, and so he put together this team up. It's called Soul Clan. The band is Soul Clan. Um, and uh, that was 69, I believe. So by that time, Wilson Pickett had, had dropped out. So that, by that time, there was Benny King was, was in the mix. Um, but anyway, it's a good album, man. It, it jams. It's totally it's fresh to me. Superstars I, hadn't heard, I hadn't heard that at all. You know, one of the, the, the kind of archetypal supergroups that people now think about, which wasn't really a group, it was just a session, was the Million Dollar Quartet, yeah. where Elvis Presley, oh, Jerry Lee course. Lewis, uh, Carl Perkins, and Johnny Cash were just in the studio one night and recorded. And in fact, I think it's the foundation of a, a musical or a play or something on Broadway. Uh, but Makes sense. But it's not really... The supergroup in the way that we're talking about, like what you what you're talking about, is they came together and formed an album. It was a project, right? And it sounds, you know, I like the kind of clubhouse uh, intro that they give, and you you feel like yeah, right. there's a lot with a lot of that. That's that's part of the appeal of these things. Well, I got I got another one. I got one from 1969 too. Yeah, I've basically found one that I really like from the late 60s, from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and the aughts. Okay, and um. The first one, it's not, it's only, uh, I'm fudging a little bit. So trust me, okay. I'll come much more formally Supergroup E later on. But the first one is formed in 1969. It's the band, or it's the trio, Honeycone. Don't know. Honeycone was uh, Edna Wright, who was the sister of Darlene Love, and she was a member of the Blossoms. It was Shelley Clark, who was an Iket with Ike and Tina, wow. and it was Carolyn Willis, who was in The Girlfriends, who had had one big hit uh, written by, by the way, David Gates, who went on to form Brett. Yeah, Brett. sure. So what happens, this is a, and this is maybe fodder for a, an episode of its own. I, I dreamed of doing a, a, a Holland Dozier Holland episode one, one day. Yeah. And so Holland Dozier Holland, for those who don't know, were the, the great songwriting production team behind Motown, uh, other than really Barry Gordy. And in the 60s, they are responsible for writing and producing 
all of the Supremes hits that you know. You know, Where Did Our Love Go? Stop in the Name of Love, Baby Love. All that sort of thing. Don't You Don't you Do It by Marvin Gaye. Uh, you know, um, uh, it, it just, everything you, you would think of. And so they basically, like a lot of people who work with Barry Gordy, didn't do, didn't have a great contract. And so they decide that they're bringing in so much money for this company that they want more royalties. Of course, Barry's having none of it. So they go off to form their own label. And it, it ends up being two labels that they formed clandestinely in 1968. One's called Hot Wax Records and one calls, one's called Invictus. Everything that these labels put out, and they're really, it's really from 1968, 1969 to 1972. Everything they put out, I've, I've, I've been tracking down because everything is good because these guys worked on all of it, but they had to do it under a pseudonym. Edith. Uh, because they were contracted to, to Mozart. Yes. So they're, they're not actually credited to any of these. But what they did is they, the first thing they did was copyright names. So they copyright the name chairman of the board. <gasps> yes, and then they get General Johnson and these these guys, <gasps> and that's General Johnson who during I, this time writes the song "Patches" that we love so much. I I love those guys. Well, that's a Holland Dozier Holland discovery or like project, and then they oh. decide they want a really good girl group, and so they and they have like a sort of a fifth dimension type group called the Glass House and. Uh, and Frida Payne becomes a superstar with Band of Gold. That's a that's a, I think a Invictus or a Hot Wax record. It's a great um, song. But the general consensus is that Barry Gordy was so upset that he went out of his way to tank their records, and so people don't yeah. know their records as as well. In fact, the second Frida Payne record, if people don't have it, it is start to finish like a concept record, and it's brilliant, and it's sort of Lamont Dozier's wonderful masterpiece. Anyway, Honeycomb awesome group. Let me play you a song. They, they decided that they were going to be sort of like a, uh, they, he wanted to fashion them like a like kind of a female Jack, uh, Jackson 5, which, you know, nothing wrong with that. Nothing um, wrong with that. Let's hear Stick Up. That song, Holland Dozier Holland wrote their whole first record, but the, the, then they handed it off basically to General Johnson for production. For production. It's got this classic Motown sound, a little bit 70s, a totally. little Jackson 5-y. The Jackson 5 thing hits me right yeah, away. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm going to play one more. We're just going to play Don't Count Your Chickens Before They Hatch. How about it? So uh, Honeycone to me is like a soul super group, or at least of almost like of almost was uh, ladies, yeah. and uh, with this craftsmanship and the engine of Holland Dozier Holland. Uh, the one thing that was kind of curious was that Carolyn Willis, who's one of the backup singers in Honeycone, ends up being the main voice behind "Get Closer," that Seals and Croft song, which is like a number four hit. Uh, but totally. for the most part, yeah, they're lost. I'll, I'll take that soft rock segue okay. <laughs> uh, from Seals and Croft. The other big supergroup 
that we haven't mentioned yet that um, stands right in there with with Cream and Blind Faith, and that's Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, yes. right? So in '68, Stephen Stills, after uh, Buffalo Springfield, does Super Session um, with with Al Cooper, which is a one-off album. Um, he was a session dude who had, had worked with Dylan and Moby Grape, and he actually produced Skinner's first three albums, yeah, Al Cooper. Yeah. I think it's sort of rumored that the term supergroup may have spun off of, of that, the name of that album, Super mm-hmm. Session, although I guess Jan Winner is, is really the one who, who dubbed Cream the first supergroup. Um, Thank you, Jan. But... Uh, if Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young is, is sort of the model of a lot of the SoCal harmony uh, uh, supergroups that, that follow in the 70s, right? They, they kick off a trend. And the through line there, I think, um, is, is Stephen Stills, who goes on after CSNY breaks up, uh, forms Manassas in 71, with um, Chris Hillman. He's, he's another one of these guys that seems to show up in a lot of these collaborations. In fact, some could say that the birds were, were really the, the foundation for a lot of this stuff. So I'm going like, to branch off from, the, from the, the stills thread to Chris Hillman via uh, Manassas, which is kind of, you know, kind of a, a, a super group, um, pairing those two. Uh, but Chris Hillman goes on to produce Firefall. Oh, gosh. You know Firefall? Yeah, I know Firefall. Yeah, I think baby. they recorded a couple of Jimmy Webb songs. They are comprised of uh, some of the remaining members of the Flying Burrito Brothers, uh, Spirit, Jojo Gunn, um, and they go on to record You Are the Woman and Just Remember I Love You and Strange Way, all of which are, are soft rock songs that if you heard those songs, you go, oh, yeah. I know that song, but the one I want to play when I, I, I really got on a soft rock trend, I would say you know, 15 years ago, and Firefall was definitely in the mix, and the song I would play all the time was Cinderella. It's December, I met a girl, she took a liking to me, said she loved me, but she didn't know the meaning of the word. Love to be grand, me holding her hand and whispering sweet things and cool softly like a songbird. Then one morning she came to me with a tear in her eye and a sigh on her breath, and Lord said, Hun, heavy with child. I know why you like that song. It's that last part. <laughs> God damn, girl. So I'll take a chance to um, talk about another uh, supergroup in the mix that spins off of CSNY. I thought this was a, a, a cool story. So to form Crosby, Stills, um, and Nash. So they were with Atlantic. Stills was already signed with Atlantic with his Buffalo Springfield contract. Um, Crosby had been released from the Birds uh, uh, deal with Columbia. Um, Nash 
was still signed to Epic uh, because of the Hollies. Atlantic uh, worked a deal with Clive Davis to trade Nash to Atlantic in exchange for Richie Ferre um, from Buffalo Springfield, who was uh, also signed to Atlantic and take on Poco, his new band. And Poco is one of these all the all the the vinyl bins have a copy of a of a Poco album which Poco album it it doesn't really matter they they it's had really, they're you really know, like always 10. there it's uncanny and yet they didn't have a hit uh, until the late 70s when the original lineup which was uh, Richie Ferre, Jim Messina Rusty Young, George Grantham, and Randy Meisner, oh, who would go on to be Randy in the Eagles. Randy Meisner, take it to Randy the limit. Meisner, that lineup is gone by the late 70s when they finally have their first hit, which is Crazy Love. It happens all the time, this crazy love of mine wraps around my heart, refusing to unwind. But it just blows my mind that a band like that, which just had a rotating cast, managed to stick around for like 10 years before they even clicked. And then all of a sudden they soar and they're a totally different band. Poco, I've had such a reaction because I've seen there's so many used Poco records everywhere. I always think, how can they possibly be good if this many people want to get rid of their Poco (laughs) records? It's like seems to be the first to go if you're having to slim down your collection. Um, Oh, let's get rid of this Poco. But Randy Meisner is such (laughs) a... I could lose the Poco. It's such a terrible name for a band, I think, too. But um, maybe maybe it's perfect because I like saying it, Poco. I know it's just mild enough that it manages to not bother you. And then, you know, you're like, oh, I still got this Poco record? Well, Well, I'm going to rewind a couple years and kick out the jams here because we need to get after after that display of softness of beautiful of sweetness and softness let's go back to when cream breaks up jack bruce who was really the star in cream people forget he was the guy who sang sunshine of your love and wrote it totally he was the one who sang white room i mean i feel free these are all Monsters. jack bruce singing Jack Bruce, the bassist. And so he, he he goes off and makes a solo record called Songs for a Tailor or something like that. And um, it's got a song in there called uh, Theme for an Imaginary Western, which is a great, great tune. And that's covered by the band Mountain. Mountain is a New York City band with Leslie West, who's one of the original like fat guys of rock. Like he's a fat guy. And he, he's I love Leslie West. He's an incredible guitar player. And they form this trio. He forms it with a guy named Corky Lang, who's a, one of these dynamo drummers, and then Felix Papalardi, who is also a producer who produced all the Cream records, who pr- produced Israeli Gears and uh, Wheels of Fire. He's the guy who produces these things. And so he knows Bruce well. Now, Papalardi was also... Totally hooked on heroin, and so after a couple records, Mountain fizzles out. After they put out, put out the record called Nantucket Sleigh Ride, which I think uh, it's it's, great. An inc- it's a really good record. 
and so they want to keep going. And uh, they've, they've themselves have recorded theme for an imaginary Western by Jack Bruce. So like, let's get Jack Bruce in. But they put out this record called Why Don't You? And they, in 1972, I believe, or they, they, they form then. And this record was a revelation to me. When I first uh, put on the record, I was like, well, there's one song that's clearly not very good. And that's called Pollution Woman. I just I don't, I don't know, know how that, that could one. possibly be good, uh, and the song out in the out into the fields is like an epic, great Jack Bruce song, but I finally come to Pollution Woman and I say, you know, goddamn, it's, it's the be best song on the record. Here's Pollution Woman, oh. sung by Jack Bruce. She said she loved me, show me bedrooms with cars. I was totally surprised by this this super really? <laughs> this band. I think maybe I'd I'd sort of uh, come across them before, but didn't really pay much attention to them. Um, and I I got hooked on the song "Love Is Worth the Blues," which I think is is on that album as well, which just speaks to the to the scene at the time. Clearly, as you already said, they they were just hammered and high constantly and that's what the sound is it's this huge concert sound and that's what uh leslie west is is great at as far as guitar is just like you can feel this guitar reaching across a stadium Let's, at you okay uh, we gotta then listen to the doctor which he sings not bruce and uh it yeah. just rips he has a great and, voice uh, but bruce is just hyperactive on the bass too this is what the doctor <laughs> So here's what I didn't, I, I couldn't have expected about this band is that what I read about them is this was a big deal in the record industry. Right. They got a million dollar contract in what, 1972 or something for three albums. Um, doesn't sound like a lot now in the, in, in terms of, of everything we know about the, the record industry. But at the time this was like major, like labels were clamoring for these guys for this lineup. Um, so they were, they were monsters of rock in 72. Well, Bruce was the biggest one of them all. And it's a transatlantic totally. group, you know, and a lot of these groups, yeah. feels, they're highly combustible, mainly because of substances, yeah. obviously because of egos. Um, 
But that there's another record that I it's out of print and it's not anywhere on Spotify or anything like that of theirs. Of theirs. That I haven't been able to track down. People say it's much. It's, great it's got a great cover. It's like each of them indulging in their vices. So like Leslie's vices, eating yeah. fried chicken or something, and Corky's <laughs> hanging out with some ladies, and it's Bruce is just drunk. And it's so funny when you read stuff about him and Ginger Baker. They hating each other and just going head I mean, to head. Ginger Baker is not an easy guy to get along with if anyone has seen the documentary about him. No, he's, he's, a, he's a legendary, or was a legendary or, maniac. He's an ornery uh, sort. <laughs> and he, uh, but Jack Bruce must have been a real real bastard. I don't know if he like... Well, you just got to imagine, like Clapton seems so amenable to, uh, you know, blending into to groups. At, at least that's what that's what the appearance is, right? As he bops from group to group and he's stuck in the middle of these two maniacs, you know, right in 1966. Yeah, I mean, oh, and you know that Papalardi, go, he, he works with his <laughs> wife a bunch who ends up shooting and killing him in like 1983. Oh. Uh that's not the first case of crazed murder that I came across she in gets, my super She gets uh, charged with accidental murder, but, okay. you know, who knows? Because um, I was wondering, like, whatever happened right. to that guy? It's like, oh, he was, he was shot and killed. Um, oh, you know, their manager, the West Bruce and Lang, their manager was Robert Stigwood, of, uh, who managed the Bee Gees. And who's sort of a big oh, wow. Bengali and uh, kind of an incredible character. So, uh at that point, the BG star had, was really fading. And so for him to take them on, they must have seemed like the future. And yet they fizzle out so quickly. Oh, but yeah. that album, Why Don't You? It absolute knocked me, knocked Super me, fun. knocked me flat. Loved it. I, I wasn't really going to talk about these guys, but it, it, it is an excuse to talk about. Um, 1973 Beck Bogert and a Pice. I mean, it's Jeff Beck, obviously. Tell me about it, because um, Carmen Aplice. Right? Yeah, um, who goes on to be in Blue Murder, which is a great um, hair metal band, uh, which also has John Sykes, uh, who got fired from White Snake and was at the tail end of, of Thin Lizzy as well. So that's our little <laughs> Thin Lizzy tie-in. Um, but uh, I don't know much about him, but I do know I like this song. and fun and that strong Jeff Beck riffs, obviously. You know, we I know we're kind of going a little chronologically here, but one of the one of the soul supergroups or can be called that because they were both so famous at the time was when um, Jimmy Ruffin and David Ruffin, who were brothers, oh, were yeah. brought together to form uh, to do a record together. Jimmy Ruffin is behind you know, what becomes of the Broken Hearted, which, for my money, is one is an ab, is a perfect song and a perfect recording. Yeah. Um, and uh, but he wasn't, frankly, half the singer 
that his brother David was, who was in the Temptations, and you know, everyone will recognize his voice immediately when they hear it. He was also uh, what they would call not easy to work with, from what I understand. His his solo record. Oh, I've seen the VH1 uh, made for TV well, movie. His solo record, David, which was an awesome record, was completely awesome. buried by Motown. They didn't want to release it because he was so just hard. Such a but bastard. they recorded. Um, a uh, they record a version of "He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother," which is a post Graham Nash Holly song um, mm-hmm. that gives me goosebumps. Here you go. The road is long with many a winding turn that leads us to. Search publicity photos of David Ruffin in like around 1969, 1970. It's a good he look. Had some cool glasses. I mean, he was totally turtlenecks, <laughs> jumpsuits. I mean, he's got some like orange and yellow jumpsuits that'll put Al Green to shame. Where do you go next? I feel like the, we we have to talk about nineteen the nineteen seventy three creation of a band called Journey. Ah. Um, Greg Rowley and Neil Sean were in Santana. Um, and they uh, connected with Ross Valerie, who was this, in the Steve Miller band. It's a prog rock band. Um, and they have two albums before they decide <laughs> on a redirect and get Roy Thomas Baker to record. Um, and they, they find a farm boy, um, you know, to be their lead singer. And it changes, changes the world. The biggest voice and of changes all time. The, uh, Man, Steve Perry, he's just, he's a force of nature. He's a force of nature, but they had two albums before they they found Steve Perry, and some of it's good, and some of it's not good, but here's here's, uh, some of the good stuff. You know, it's noodling of a high degree, and and it's got a little bit of a almost cut my hair vibe that you know builds to a huge climax. But um, you know, I was glad to find that song, uh, and uh, you know, we can't talk about supergroups yeah. um, without talking about Prague and talking about a band called uh, Emerson Lake and Palmer. <laughs> So the story with with Emerson Lake and Palmer, do you know anything about those guys? I just know that in middle school I had to listen to I had a, I had one of those teachers who thought it would be cool to get us into classical music if we 
listen to like pictures at an exhibition, the Grieg uh, piece, that, right? Just, as played by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Of course, we were all like into New Kids on the Block, so it was it, it was a misfire. That was my only ex- <laughs> my only experience. Well, as as much as much as Emerson, Lake, and Palmer gets gets credit for defining Prague yeah. rock. They also get credit for uh, creating yeah. punk rock, right? <laughs> punk rock is the reaction to the mess that basically became the, the, their sound. I mean, and it ELP is, is like usually at, right times, at the center of what people were hated hated about. Unbearable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. ELP, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and then um, Pink Floyd. Like those were the ones that people were like, "Enough of this." Enough. Um, so they came together in '69. Keith Emerson had been in The Nice, which we talked about um, in a Roxy mm-hmm. episode. I forget who was tied. It was the original guitarist that they had before Manzanera that came from The Nice, I think, yeah, uh, once David, The Nice uh, broke up. Yeah. Greg Lake had been in King Crimson, and Carl Palmer had been in Atomic Rooster. Before they landed on Carl Palmer, um, they flirted with the idea of Mitch Mitchell, um, from Hendrix? Because the Jimi Hendrix experience had, had just broken up. It says, Mitchell suggested a jam session take place uh, with himself, Lake, Emerson, and Hendrix. But the session never take, took place, but that was enough to create rumors that there was a band being formed, not called ELP, but H-E-L-P, Hendrix, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Help. Well, wow. That is that is actually yeah. pretty inc- incredible little nugget right there. It's crazy. So... Here I'm gonna go ahead and play uh, the Emerson, Lake, and Palmer uh, song that I can I can stand, which is uh, a lot a lot of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer the, in those bins next to Poco. By the way, you can seriously. find you can find anything you're looking for. There might have been things I miss, but don't be unkind. It don't mean I'm blind. Perhaps there's a thing or two I think of lying in bed I shouldn't have said But there it is So with that, we passed our prog rock Okay, good. <laughs> I had nothing to <laughs> offer on that. My, I mean, my next super group that's on my list, I did want to, in yeah. fact, go back to the Wilburys because I was listening to them the other day. Oh, awesome. Now, the Wilburys are formed, you know, they're, they're, the story goes is that George Harrison was recording a B-side called ha- Handle With Care, yeah. which they really just had seen some yeah. roadies unloading some stuff. It's like, yeah, that sounds like a good name for a song. Great song. Right. So they, they decide, like, okay, who's your dream band to play with? And Lynn, like, they, they call up uh, Tom Petty, and then they're like, oh, what about Bob Dylan? And, you know, they're... Especially Harrison's good friends with Dylan. Dylan wants to come over and play, and then they're like, oh, "Who's everyone's favorite singer?" It's all Roy Orbison, and so they get Roy Orbison, and of course, they're all really, really um, um, just in awe of Roy Orbison. And there's footage of them recording, and they just look like they're having a ball. They all adopt uh, false names, and the ever with everything's Wilbury. And they collaborate, and uh, the record is recorded in like a week in 1988, and it sounds a lot like, it sounds like an ELO record, but it also sounds like, uh, they say that Harrison was really calling the shots mostly, um, 
and we've talked about Handle With Care, which is, again, another one of these perfect songs uh, that lyrically, the performance-wise, you wouldn't think that you could have that much personality in one song and it worked, but it does. But while listening to the record again, outside of the tweeter and the monkey man, which is Dylan, uh, he, Dylan, it's Dylan's attempt to write an early Springsteen song. It's, uh, you know, hmm. early Springsteen is this really verbose, uh, full of these kind of right. gutter characters from under the boardwalk in Jersey. I mean, there's a line in there in, in Tweeter and the Monkey Man, in Jersey, anything's legal as long as you don't get caught. You know, it's a great Dylanism. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful song. But the song has struck me as, as a, a high watermark of what can be when the egos sort of uh, dr- fall away and there's a more spirit of freedom and collaboration, which I see the Wilburys as that. Um, men that had mm. nothing to prove to anyone and were just wanted to have fun with their buddies. Uh, right. It's a song in there called Margarita. And there, no, there's like hmm. five different parts of the song. None of them are repeated. It's kind of, it's kind of electro at the beginning. Dylan sings his own thing. You get the sense each of them were like, okay, I'm going to do this kind of thing. And then Lynn does almost like a little rap. And then, then Petty comes in and just says one line. She says she wrote him a long letter on a short piece of paper, which is a great little... But this is Margarita. for me okay yeah i'm gonna have to rewind to the the 70s um a little band yeah. called bad Company. I, every time us. you've been saying and then i keep thinking he's gonna talk about bad company but um now here we are <laughs> here we are paul rogers and simon kirk from free um and mick ralph's from Hoople, and boz burrell from king crimson come together to create bad company I've always been a fan, but I don't think I ever realized that they were a super group. No, they're because they're and they're bigger they're made even, as bad company than they were as Free or Motha Hoople or King Crimson. I mean, bad completely. company. This is one of these supergroups that gets to, has legs. On top of it all, they are um, they're on Swan Song Records, right? Led Zeppelin's label, and uh, Peter Grant is their manager. So, you know, if there is ever rock and roll royalty, it is this alignment of, of a band. I, obviously, huge catalog to choose from, but I thought we would go back to the roots and play uh, a song that uh, is a hit for them, but that we've played before, I believe, 
um, in episode one, and that's Ready for Love. Walking down this rocky road, wondering where my life is leading, rolling on to the bitter end. Finding out along the way what it takes to keep love living. You should know. First time we heard that, uh, Ian Hunter sang it, and gosh, what a what a totally different approach than the the Paul Rogers, um, you know, blues voice. And so, you know, he'll he'll segue us as well. Wait, 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 one one uh, second. Bad Company deserve respect if for no other reason that the group name was the album name was a, a name of a song. On the so bad company off the record, bad company had the song "Bad Company," which is a big gamble. Which is amazing. And then, then for they they that if that song blows, then you're you know that's gonna tar then everything about you going forward. It's like oh yeah, forget about that one song we wrote about ourselves, and yet. It's a huge monster hit. That's a that's a real feat. That's like that's a little like Babe Ruth pointing at the bleachers. <laughs> you know. It is. It really is. I mean, you you know, I think I hit you up with a a playlist I created of all Paul Rogers um taking us from uh I think he had a band even before Free maybe, but yeah, Free to Bad Company then to another supergroup in uh 1981 called The Firm. <laughs> Uh, and the guitarist was one Jimmy Page um, and Chris Slade on drums from Uriah Heep. I, I will spare us uh, Radioactive, which is the hit uh, that the firm created. Um, but yeah, man. Paul, Paul Rogers. Rogers. I mean, my next thing is to go... I mean, Page has a few of these sort of collaborations because you can't just join a band if you're Jimmy Page. You can't just start a new band. It's it's right. very difficult to do. So you kind of have to seek out peers, I guess. Um, another person that's like that of a very different generation. And, you know, some of what's fun one of the fun things about this episode is getting to go down a few rabbit holes of people that we maybe we haven't it might take us a while to get to, but Another person yeah, who yeah. does a lot of this is Johnny Marr of the Smiths, who after the Smiths oh, are yeah. done, he joins the the, and he plays with them, and he also later he joins Modest Mouse and does a, a couple like a full record and a couple tours with them. He, he's like, I'm not just guesting on a record; I'm a member of the band. Um, but the supergroup, what's called England, one of England's finest supergroups, is called is Electronic, which forms in 1988, yeah. and this is with Bernard Sumner from uh, New Order, and originally, actually, it also has Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys, and Chris Lowe from the Pet Shop Boys also plays, uh, helps him compose a couple songs. They have a song uh, that they a single that's released, I think, in 1990 called "Getting Away with It." And it is a fabulous song. It's perfect. Uh, it's a it's a perfect pop song. Um, I'll play a little bit of it right now, because that's only part of what I want to say about electronic. I've been walking in the rain just to get wet on purpose. 
Manchester. Uh, Smiths are from Manchester, and that's if you you watch Twenty Four Hour Party People, which is one of the great, great uh, music movies in my opinion. Uh, you have you 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 watch Joy totally. Division become New Order, and New Order. You know they're a bunch of just miserable bastards. I, you got to say, like I love them, and I love that music. They just seem like they couldn't stand each other. Um, and in the right. '90s. Uh, or the late 80s, uh, they were sick and tired of each other. Bernard, who was really the, one of the, the songwriters, Peter Hook also wrote songs, but he he wanted to get away from that, and he wanted to be able to program drums, and you know, house music was happening. And Johnny Marr was also locked into the Smiths, which was a very distinctive sound, uh, ruled by a, you know, a, a what, what do we call Morrissey? A force of nature for a, sing, a personality who's just <laughs> unbounded. And um, so, but people have absolutely maniacal uh, devotion to both of those groups. And so uh, they came together, they become friends, and they're like, let's, let's do like a dance record and let's just have some mm-hmm. fun. And they're really trying to blow off steam with that first electronic record. And they're, they're maybe not quite at the top of their game, but they're very close. The first electronic record is good. The second one is called Raise the Pressure. And it is, um, I mean, it is so, it's so they, they bring in Carl Bartosz from uh, Kraftwerk, to write and oh, produce yeah. and, and work with them. And what's funny is that there's not that much, it's not, it's actually not as dancey as the record before it, but it is good. And I, there's a song on there, um, Forbidden City is like, is I think the first song. So that'll give you a sense of Johnny. It, it sounds like Bernard Sumner, New Order singing a Smith song. Um, here it is. That's not a hope. Why you're in this kind of mood Too much to drink But not enough to lose You tore me apart Now I've got to suffer I wish I'd been around when you started this Can hear those bright Johnny Marr guitars, but and actually Bartosz worked on that song, which sounds pretty like straightforward uh, pop. There's a r- mm. song on there called Second Nature, which is one of my, I think, is a, a, a stone cold classic of a song, which is really Bernard Sumner's trying to summarize his life in a way. It's sort of a gospel yeah. tune, and it's there's a lot more warmth in electronic than there would ever be in New Order, and he says that explicitly. Yeah. Um, for the most part, you know, like a lot of these groups they bring them so much expectation, even if they're fleeing it by joining these groups and having a new name to cloak themselves with. They bring, uh, sometimes when these, the records would first come out, people would bring all the, uh, the baggage and the transference and the, um, 
the, the huge uh, projections that they had with for the Smiths and New Order, and then and so nothing could ever measure up to that. But when you listen to the electronic records today, especially the second one, which came out in sort of the height of Britpop and Oasis was happening, and it did seem pretty uncool. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a glistening album. It stands, stands up. up. Uh, there's always that Bernard Sumner melancholy that's very different than a Morrissey uh, lyric, and the songwriting is top notch. They put out a third record called Twisted Tenderness, which is which is good too. It's it's not quite as good right. for me, and they'll probably work again together because it's like it's like they keep returning to it as as, as something fun when they're done with like their main yeah. bands. Um, so Electronic was one that I wanted to highlight. Um, so for posterity's sake. I feel like I have to mention this band that that landed on the scene in 1981. And gosh, you know, I, I said that we were done with oh, Prague. Oh, I don't man. think Is we are. Is this Asia? <laughs> oh, it's Asia. <laughs> I had no idea that Asia was Steve Howe uh, and Jeff Downs from Yes, John Wetton from King Crimson, and hey. Carl Palmer. From it's like ELP. you feel duty bound to mention these groups. I think it's it's sweet. Asia. That's another one you'll find in some used bins, by the way. Completely. What what is it with these guys? What I find wild about that is they kind of take they take a page from Yes, where there's this faceless band, right? And also there's what uh, uh, we've already seen at that time, Boston and Kansas and and every other location, and they pick. They picked Asia. Um, name, it, name it after a continent. Why not? We'll go big. But they're, I mean, they're a big deal. Like, they're still making money with Heat of the Moment, and uh, only time will tell. All right, Asia. Um, what else you got for me? What if I was to tell you you could have R.E.M. and then the gonzo vocal stylings of Warren Zevon covering Prince, 1984, The Hindu Love Gods. Ah. amazes me about that cover is is just that it uh, suddenly it sounds like a warren zevon song that's great i mean my next uh selection is in the is in the aughts yep. I damn know. i know you've got you've got we've got damn yankees to get through we could go to i'm not gonna i'm not i'm not gonna do damn yankees. There's, there's, there's so much here but the ones that i go back to okay is 2003 billy corgan not well liked. He's kind of, uh, he's worn out his welcome in the pop culture sphere. You know, this is before he gets really into wrestling. And the Smashing Pumpkins have, uh, you know, grunge is, has gone the way of the dodo a little bit, except for maybe Pearl Jam's rocking around. And um, he, they flamed out. He releases a solo record that doesn't go anywhere. And then all of a sudden, this record called Swan, this band forms Swan. And it is, it is uh, Billy Corgan 
with the drummer from the Smashing Pumpkins, who is, if you know anything about Jimmy Chamberlain, he is, um, he's got a cult following all his own. He's, uh, he's that, he's known as that, like, elevated of a drummer. Um, just a modern day John Bonham, uh, essentially. But he, his friend Matt Sweeney, who'd been in the math rock band Chavez, uh, and is quite somewhat hmm. well known in indie circles, he joins the band. And then Sweeney gets David Pajo from Slint, which is one of these Chicago um, post-rock, uh, you know, uh, post-punk bands that Steve Albini was, was, Albini was involved yeah. in. And he's played on everything. Uh, and then Paz uh, Lechenton, uh, a lady, a bassist, um, who is in a perfect circle with... With another, another super, super group. group, I think James Maynard Keynes is in that, right? Um, from Tool yep. and James Eha from the Smashing Pumpkins. And, yep. uh, you know, Paz ends up becoming Kim Deal's replacement in the Pixies. Swan is, oh. it comes out, and they're only out for one, one record. It sounds like an, they hate each other by the end of maybe 2004. Um, Billy Corgan says when he listens to Swan, he can't listen to Swan. All he hears is thousands of lies upon lies upon lies. And yet it's of all the work that he's done over the years. It is the single thing that I go back to the most. It's excellent, excellent guitar, fuzzy, fun, uh, loud arena rock, but it's uplifting. It's not all this, you know, bat in a cage stuff it's 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 yeah. fun you can tell that he loves queen too you know like he's he's crafting these yeah. great songs so um and it's also like kind of it's a conversion record which is not something you expect from billy corgan i don't know what what goes on with that but it's i think he's uh he becomes sort of intense about his roman catholicism so a lot of the lyrics have to do with that but it doesn't so like a lot of those records it doesn't actually bog it down it kind of makes it more interesting. The very first song is called Lyric, and it's got this wonderful backup vocal from Paz. So here, here's the song. actually got amazing reviews and it stands up um it's uh, it's kind of the best songwriting he ever did and it's out of it's sort of out of tune be- because of uh, or it's out of keeping with a lot of his really really angst ridden stuff it's just it's a wall yeah. of guitars played by math rock guys and uh i love it and uh i, I always want to like smashing pumpkins yeah, more than I'd- i actually do but i love swan I forget how much his his voice really defined an an, yeah. an era, like the riff from today yeah. or something. Like you, that brings you back immediately to right. nineteen ninety six or whatever. It, it the songs are fresh, and um, I, it's too bad they didn't stick together because there was s- some energy there that was much better than thousands of lies upon lies upon lies. <laughs> but that's two thousand three. I've got a bunch of one-off things I want to share, okay. but that's 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 as much as I'm going to push. All right. Well, you know me. I'm going right. to keep it trashy. Um, 
You already mentioned <laughs> Damn Yankees, which surfaced in, in 1989. Um, and they were a hit. That's what I didn't, I didn't remember is that I, I at that the video time, was I was always, like, was always oh, this on. is a... So much, so much hair. High enough. Like, so much hair. <laughs> that video is hilarious. Just as a reminder, Damn Yankees is Tommy Shaw and Jack Blades from Night Ranger and Ted Nugent. We all know he's ridiculous, but wearing Razor Oakleys and like licking the guitar and kicking down doors in that high enough uh, video is totally absurd and kind of worth a watch. And the song is pretty damn hooky in a way that I had, I had forgotten. At the time, I, you know, I was like, this is the corniest shit. A lot of times when I log on to Spotify, their I notice that my, that my dear friend Lex is listening to Damn Yankees again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I keep going stop. back to Kiss. You keep going back to Damn Yankees. That one and Come Again. Oh my God. The songs, they hook me. Anyway, um, that set the stage for another super group that came along in 93. And you know I'm going there, uh, but our listeners do not, and that's Coverdale Page. <laughs> um, David Coverdale of Whitesnake, and before that, Deep Purple. Who many, many people um, would characterize as a poor man's Robert Plant. Like, that's just... I, I don't think that's fair. I really like... I've, you've. It's not fair until this <laughs> album... <laughs> And then you're like, hey, I still go back to this album. I, I, I bought it at the time. I listened to it a lot. It's so bombastic. It's so over the top. His vocals are totally absurd. Um, but man, he's giving it all he's got. And yes, he is throwing the, the Robert Plant thing around. But I, I feel like it's because he's working with Jimmy Page guitar. And so he's leaning into the Zeppelin thing. But I, previous to that, I don't... He's a guy with a, a like a monster voice, just like Paul Rogers. So you know he's gonna sing a certain way. So I, I don't knock him for for the Robert Plant stuff. You know, Page earlier, came to in, play in with that record too. And I think his his riffing is he, he had some material built up, uh, right? I mean, I yeah, I've, I've, I I love that record. I'm just gonna say it. Clearly, Coverdale comes to it with um, a lot of bad things going on at the time. He's getting divorced Tony from, the, from Tony Katane. From Tony Katane. Whitesnake is over. And, uh, you know, so he, he goes in on what feels also like a record label mm -hmm. stunt a little bit. But um, I'm going to play... What do you got for me? <laughs> Whisper a prayer for the dying. And let me just say something here. He does anything but <laughs> whisper. <laughs>
know, there's notes of cashmere in in that song, and it just by the end he's he's he's, he's just going nuts. <laughs> uh, but I love it. What this does, though, if you'll remember, is after Coverdale Page happens, Plant has a or Plant ha- about the same time has a failure with Fate of Nations, an album I like. I like Plant's catalog mm-hmm. post Zeppelin a lot. Um, I feel like he's he's always trying new things, which I love. Um, but after Coverdale Page, Plant is finally like, okay, I'm ready to cash in, and does the no quarter the the which page I enjoy. Plant I saw that tour happens. Yeah, and the other thing, great. the other su- the only other supergroup tour that I've ever seen was uh, Golden Smog was a sort of alt country superstars that came together. Oh, superstar yeah. <laughs> superstars of is huge stretch, but uh, uh, they came right. together in around the early '90s. And actually, the drummer from the Replacements, Chris Mars, was in it for a little while, and then he dropped out. And eventually, the drummer from Big Star, Jody Stevens, joins the group. But they, my favorite record of theirs is one called uh, "Down by oh, the wow. Old Mainstream," and this is Gary Loris of the Jayhawks and Craig. Johnson of Run Westy Run and Jeff Tweedy of Wilco, and that he would sort of. This is all pre, uh, uh, um, you know, um, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, uh, and uh, Mark Perlman, I think of the Jayhawks. They they put together a record. Oh, and one of the guys from um, Soul Asylum, who were you know a pretty big deal at one point, but their their song V totally. is like I just I'm gonna play the beginning of it because it always makes me feel good. It okay. brings me back to the '90s. All their records are basically them having fun in the studio, um, being together and blowing off steam from their main groups. And I really enjoy it. That was a really, really fun concert because they just kept trading instruments and uh, um, playing covers just endlessly. It was at the 930 Club in in Washington. Here's what I want to mention. Um, We all know the raconteurs. They're still kicking. I guess that first album was 2009, maybe? Um, and I sort of tapped out after that, that first album. Um, I love Brendan Benson always have. Um, he was the, the one I was most excited about in, in that group. Um, but recently one of their songs showed up in, in one of my discover playlists and I was like, Oh man, that's a good song. And that's rich kid blues.
like yes level organ going on and with like Bono style vocals because Jack White has been around for for so long now and 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 done so so much so well it's easy to kind of take him for granted I think and and then to dive back in and be like oh shit man he is good good. Um, that, that was a, that was a nice discovery for me to, to go back to that stuff. But yeah, I'm ready to wrap up. I got, uh, two things. I definitely, two songs. I definitely want to talk about. I got, I got three songs. The first one is in 1992. Um, Rod Stewart is, uh, you know, trying to figure out what's next. And he decides to re-record a, um, song that he had recorded for an Australian group. In I think 1965, he'd been the or maybe maybe 60 or sorry 68 is when he'd recorded it. And Rod Stewart in 1968 cannot be beat. You know that's as good as it gets. And um, it's a song called "In a Broken Dream." And there's a session with John Paul Jones on bass from Led Zeppelin and David Gilmour on guitar with Rod Stewart in 1992. At this point, he's known as you know the uncoolest you know. You know, do you think I'm sexy kind of guy? He's, he's a far gone from the yeah, faces. Yeah. But it's like he, he never released it, and it is a super group that could have been. And I just feel like I have to play parts of it. Here we go. Every day I spend my time drinking wine, feeling fine, waiting here to find a sign that I can't understand. Yes, I Bloody flowers push their heads into the air. I don't care if I ever know where I go. Don't push your luck too far. Your wounds won't leave us. Gilmore oh, also shows up on the Arcadia record, which is the the Duran Duran guys, when they split up for a little bit, and uh, they got Sting to play bass, and David Gilmore played guitar on a song called "The Promise," which is great. Meanwhile, a couple of the other guys from Duran Duran formed a super group with Robert Power Palmer, Station and Bernard Power Edwards Station. from Chic. Uh, oh, my blood pressure went down a little bit knowing that we we mentioned <laughs> Power Station. I was no, afraid that we'd song, skip Murderous, over. Murderous is one I would play, put on a, a playlist for for our, for our listeners. Oh, good. So, some like yeah. hot is great. Power Station is great. It seemed like it was driven by the the Taylors. Um, I, I've seen an interview with with um, Robert Palmer, and he says it's with Dick Clark. It's on American Bandstand, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't know what's up with Power Station. That's their kind of their thing." Like, yeah, I'm along Andy for the Taylor, ride. the guitarist from he he was who sort of pieced out of Duran Duran after that, but he he and John Taylor are both part of that it's a good record it's a a strange record but it's a good one i revisited a a lot of bands that i had already decided what i thought about them and yet i'm going back and i'm listening to mad season really enjoying them audio slave actually sort of reconsidering them for the first time i mean chris cornell (laughs) dude the guy with 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 distance now his vocals (laughs) i keep thinking of that van halen quote it's like 
you know, Soundgarden had broken oh, up, yeah, right. and Audio Slave hadn't come. There I were other too. options, and like, yeah. but what I wanted to uh, talk about is FFS. Were you going to talk FFS? about them? Uh, no. So that's Franz Ferdinand and Sparks um, worked together to create this. Oh, just such a fun. I mean, some might find me borderline attractive from afar, but afar is not where I can stay. Um, one, yeah. uh, we, you know, to, to link it into our, 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 our back catalog, Tinted Windows, the record came out in 2009 Great. and that's Adam Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne and Ivy who died from COVID, uh, related symptoms and yeah. very, very sad, A amazing songwriter. He, um, he got together with Taylor Hansen from Hansen, the sort of the, the, the good looking mm-hmm. one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also James Eha from the Smashing Pumpkins, and then yep. on drums, Bunny Carlos from Cheap Trick, Bunny Carlos, looking like baby. their granddad in all the photos. And they have a song on there called like it's it's. It, they just decided to but like let's just do a totally straight ahead power pop record without any of this um, you yeah. know, the cleverness of Fountains of Wayne and without um, any of the sort of edge of cheap trick and it's just a really fun record you know people hated it at the time i don't know what they were expecting it's a throwback it's an exercise and it's uh it's great there's a song my my favorite song there's called dead serious that's what i'd put on our um but the one i the the only other song i want to play 2005 uh we're right in the middle of the harry potter franchise being filmed Okay, I don't know well, where this is going. in the Harry Potter world, there's a group called the Weird Sisters, who are a rock band, and it's like a kind of an all-male band called the Weird Sisters, and they're referenced in the books. And in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, there's a prom scene, a, a famous uh, or a, a well-known scene at like the holiday dance that they do. And uh, they decide to form a supergroup of English musicians to put on stage. And uh, they get... Um, to uh, Johnny Greenwood, who kind of looks like he's in the Wizarding World from Radiohead, is up there. And Phil Selway, right. from the Radiohead drummer, plays. And uh, then to play bass, they get Steve Mackey from Pulp, and to sing and to write the songs, they get Jarvis Cocker from Pulp. And I, Jarvis Cocker, oh is God. a is a real uh, hero, uh, and just um, I, I love him. And they write a song in there called Magic Works, and it's a the slow dance okay. song. And so you, they're in the movie, but it's a super group.
they nail ba- what's basically a early middle school slow dance song. Uh, but they with all these magic references totally. in it. They also have a song called "Do the Hippogriff," which is great. Um, it's just it's it's perfect stuff. And you hear Johnny Greenwood sort of like the guitar <laughs> totally. tone. He hasn't he's stopped using after OK Computer comes in. Um, but mainly, it's the Jarvis right. Cocker show and anything that man's involved with. I want to know about so. That's my last supergroup to highlight. I really, I feel like um, the the like this is an Oscar speech where you're trying to fit in all the names at the end before they uh, the music comes on and they kick you off. Uh, we didn't mention the Highwaymen. We didn't mention before the Highwaymen Waylon and Willie. I mean, that's that's a like a power Marvel team, uh, a super yeah. duo, right? Uh, Dolly Parton was part of. Two uh, female supergroups trio with Linda Ronstadt, Emmy Lou Harris, uh, and Dolly Parton, and then she, that was '87. And then '93, she was in Honky Tonk Angels with Tammy Wynette, Loretta Lynn, and they even recorded a song with Patsy Cline, um, which is really good. Um, yeah. Bad English, <laughs> another Neil Sean joint. Um, Jonathan Cain's in that uh, too. Right? Yeah, the good, the bad, the queen. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm yeah. surprised you didn't pa- mention. Paul Simonon, uh, Damon Albarn. Clash is in it with Damon Albarn from uh, Blur. And then, of course, um, uh, Chris Hillman is in multiple. Uh, he's in like a, a Souther Hillman Foray band, then a McGuinn Clark Hillman. Well, band I almost, I want We're going to do stuff, a Birds but, episode or a Gene Clark episode, and we'll get to talk about. That, so we'll get I to talk about listed. all those guys. Frankly, I, I know yeah, all so about the extended <laughs> universe of the birds, but uh, yeah, I'm going to pick one from uh, to to send us out from 2011. Um, it seems absurd to me that we would talk about supergroups and not even touch on hip hop, which you know has has taken the the taken the notion of, of supergroups and super duos and 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 run with that you know to the nth degree. But I can't think at the moment of of two music stars coming together bigger than this pairing at the time. And that is Jay-Z and Kanye West um, when they did mm. watch the throne, which when it came out, I, 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 I bought it day of, I was so excited. We talked about all the, the record bin um, super groups that, you know, they're easily cast aside. And this isn't one of those. I think the, the whole album stands up. But anyway, I'm going to play the first uh, track off that, which is uh, No Church in the Wild to send us off on super groups. Human beings in a mind. What's a mind to a king? What's a king to a god? What's a god to a non-believer who don't believe in anything? Will he make it out alive? All right, all right. No church in the wild. Tears on the mausoleum floor. Blood stains the Coliseum doors. Lies on the lips of a priest. Thanksgiving disguises a feast. Rolling in the Rolls Royce Caniche. Only the doctors got this, I'm hiding from police. Cocaine seats, all white, like I got the whole thing bleached. Drug dealer chic. I'm wondering if a dog's prayers reach. It's pious, pious, God loves pious. Socrates acts who's biased for your seat.